Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone here today. If you would open your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. You know, as, as Nick mentioned, we have been uh, challenged and encouraged uh, as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah to see this man that God used to do something big for his kingdom. Uh, if you remember going back, just recap really quickly, in chapter 1 we found out that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. And this was a, a position of privilege, a position of honor to be uh, in the king's inner circle. And this was not just a lowly servant, this was someone that the king relied on, someone that the king leaned on, probably one of the king's chief advisors. And yet we saw at the beginning that Nehemiah, that when he, he heard this report about what was going on in Jerusalem, that the walls were broken down, that the people were in trouble, that his heart just broke over that, and that he wept and prayed for many days. And he goes to the king, and the king says, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah lays out this whole thing that, you know, king, my people, their city is in ruins. And, and Nehemiah had a heart for a place. And as, as Kyle's challenged us, and we've been thinking about this, do we have a heart for the place where God's put us? Are we moved by the people around us, by the brokenness in our communities? And we want to be a church that is, God is using to reach people. And Tim uh, talked to us about prayer. Again, this idea of taking everything, taking our prayers to God, relying on him, repenting of our sins, asking God for success in the things that we want to do for him. And last week, again, Kyle, this, we see this progression of Nehemiah. He reaches the city of Jerusalem, and he goes out in the middle of the night, and he inspects the walls. And he, and he, and he says, oh, here's a spot where the gates are broken. Here's a spot where the walls burn down. And he kind of took inventory of this whole thing. And, and, he, used, and he uses his, begins to use his influence to call people together to say, let's rise and build this wall. Let's restore this city to where it needs to be. And I think I want to point out four core convictions about this whole project before we jump into chapter 4. Four, four, quickly, four core convictions of Nehemiah. And the first was that he had the welfare of the Israelites in mind. He cared about people, okay? This was not about uh, just rebuilding a wall. This was about rebuilding a wall so that people could be safe, so that the people that lived in Jerusalem could be taken care of. The second core conviction was that the hand of God was on him. He says that in chapter 2, chapter 2, uh, verse 8. He says, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. He knew that this was something that God wanted. And he, in fact, earlier in chapter 1, he had went back to the promises and said, God, remember that if the people come back to you, that you have promised to gather them again from where they're scattered. Third core conviction that Nehemiah had was that God had put this into his heart. You see this in chapter 2, verse 11, when he went out during the night. He said, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. Now, Nehemiah knew that this desire that he had had come from God. And the fourth thing, 
core conviction about this project at the end of chapter 2. Nehemiah says in 2 verse 20, the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. So Nehemiah knew that God was going to give them success. Those four convictions, think about those. What, how, how important it is to know why you're doing something. And, you know, each of us, God has called us to something. Now you may say, I, I don't have any, any big idea what that is. I, I've never had a vision in the middle of the night. Um, I've never had a strong sense of calling to one particular thing. But I would just say, every person has a role. If you're a husband, God has called you to be a leader to your family. God has called you to be a servant to your wife. If you have children, God has called you to parent them and to bring them up in the knowledge of God. If you are an employer, God has called you to treat your employees a certain way. If you are an employee, God has called you to work as unto the glory of God. In fact, we can just open up this book and go page after page after page of things that God has called us to do. And yet, here's something that I want us to see, is that just because God has called you to do something, just because his word has things that he wants you to obey, does not mean it's going to be easy. And we're going to see that as we begin to look at Nehemiah chapter 4. So let's begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Nehemiah 4, verse 1. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Now, the first thing I noticed from this is that if you ever run into a guy named Sambalat, he's probably not a good dude. I mean, that, that name just tells you. I just picture the, you know, the mustache and and just kind of the evil villain. But Sambalat, who, who was this guy? He was a governor of a, of a I guess, this, of a Samar, Samar, uh, Sumerian um, city nearby. And uh, it, it, he did not want to see Jerusalem built back up. And this was, had a political component to it in that he wanted his city to keep, keep prestige. And if another city were to rise up with with power and, uh, and gain influence, and it was going to lessen what he had going on. And you really saw the opposition actually started at the end of chapter 2, 2.19, when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. You know, as we said, just because God has called you to do something doesn't mean that you're not going to run into obstacles. And I really want to point out three obstacles from this chapter. I, I went the alliteration route following Cosley last week, but three obstacles. Doubt, the danger of attack, and discouragement. And, you know, to us, a lot of times I think we think 
man, if, if I'm doing God's work, if I know that, God's gonna ha- that God wants us to, to be accomplished, I think we tend to think in our minds, hey, this should happen. This should happen without any opposition. This should be smooth sailing. Because after all, if we're doing God's work, doesn't he want it to be accomplished? Doesn't he want it to go well? And yet, this principle is not, is not something that we just see here in the book of Nehemiah, this principle of opposition. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't think it's strange when you have trials. Don't think it's strange that when you're busy doing God's work, that these, these forces of opposition come against you. And here, this first, this first uh, obstacle, this first bit of opposition that comes is the opposition of doubt. Listen to what they say in, in, in Nehemiah 4, verse 1. And, and the, this, they come, and, and, and the Jews have just started this work. Okay? They've just started this big building project. And you see in chapter 3, it gives this description of all these. In fact, there was 38 work groups. Nehemiah had a very elaborate uh, plan put in place. He said, we're going to break the, the people up into these groups. And each of these 38 groups are going to work on a section of the wall. And so they had begun to build. And, you know, when you, you see this principle in place, that if you, if you get in your heart to do work for God, if you, if you say, I'm going to do something for God, one of the first things that comes along is doubt. Doubt to say no. You can't do that. And look at the specific things. He said, what are the feeble Jews doing? And one of the elements of doubt is just to to look at ourselves and say, you know what? We're too weak. We can't do this. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough. We're too weak. Another element of doubt is uh, this, he says, Will they, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? In other words, this sarcastic, who do they think they are? This is going to take forever. Look at this wall, this burned-out wall, these broken-down gates, and these feeble Jews. They're too weak, and there's too much work. This, this element of doubt that says, you know what? You can't do this. This isn't going to happen. Um... You know, we struggle with that too, don't we? We struggle with this idea of doubt, of looking at ourselves and saying, we're so, we're so aware of our weaknesses and our failures and the things that, the sins in our life. And we say, man, God can't use someone like me. God can't accomplish his purposes in my life. And yet, what do you see when you, when you go back and, you, and look, you look in the New Testament and you look over and over again, what does Paul do? He reminds us of who we are. He says, look at what Jesus did for you. Look at the price he paid to cleanse your sins and to make you children of God, to make you his people. Well, well, what's Nehemiah's response to to this doubt that they were trying to bring? In verse four, it says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah does what he always does. He goes back to prayer. 
You know, doubt wants to t take our, our focus and turn it inside of ourselves. Prayer takes our focus and puts it up and says, God, we need you if we're going to accomplish this. And, you know, we, we, we don't have a, maybe a Sambalat in our life, or maybe we do, uh, but every one of us, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers. What does Satan do? He goes and he accuses us. Accuses us before God, but also to us to put those thoughts to, to say, you know what? You are not going to be able to do this. To put that doubt into our minds. Verse 6. What happens? So Nehemiah prayed, and then he says, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When, your enemy, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half of the men, holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. We're going to look at two more obstacles out of that section. And the second big obstacle they ran into was the, this danger of attack. So you see in verse, verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So obviously this doubt didn't work. Okay? Nehemiah and the people, they committed this to God, and they went to work. They said, we're, we're, we know what God has called us to do, and we're not going to be turned away from that. And so you see that Sambalat actually goes and, and he, he adds to his coalition. And, and so he brings in the, um, 
Tobiah, which people think uh, was a governor with the Ammonites, uh, the Arabs to the south, and then the Ashdod and the Philistines to the west. So people from the cities on every side, basically. And they hatched this plan. They said, you know what we're, we're going to do? We're going to wait, and we're going to spring a surprise attack on them. As they're working, as they're not ready, as they're unaware, we're going to go and, and we're going to we're going to kill them. We're going to finish this off. Now, fortunately, by the hand of God, this, this plot was made known to Nehemiah and to the people. And, and, you know, I think about what would my response have been if I was Nehemiah. And I'm, I'm working, I'm getting stuff done. In fact, it says that they had actually reached the halfway point, rebuilt the wall until um, all of it reached half its height. And we're talking about probably a 16-foot wall, um, anywhere from two miles of wall up to two and a half miles of wall, depending on, on where you look. But this, we're talking about a long section of wall, okay? Two-plus miles of wall that had, had been repaired to, to halfway point, okay? And so Nehemiah must have, must have been pretty encouraged up to now, but then all of a sudden he hears about this plot and he thinks, man, you know, what... What would your reaction be to, to say that all these people are, are going to descend on us and take us out? Well, I want us to look at five responses of Nehemiah. The first thing he did, in verse 9, it said he prayed and posted a guard. I love that. He prayed and posted a guard. Again, where does he go first? He goes to prayer. But he prayed and he posted a guard. I was thinking about this. Prayer should not be an excuse to be passive. Sometimes I think we have this thought in mind that we pray for something, we pray for something, we pray for something, and then we just sit and wait to see what's going to happen. Nehemiah didn't just pray and wait. He could have prayed and said, you know what, I know that God's going to protect us, um, so, so we can just keep, keep doing what we're doing and don't worry about anything. No, he prayed and he posted a guard. And I think about that. This could apply to a lot of situations, but again, this idea that we pray and we act. We pray and we act. Well, the last time I spoke, I, I talked from, from Philippians chapter 2, and this idea that God, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. The idea that God is at work in us, so work out our salvation. And so, you know, if you are, if you are looking, if you are praying to God for a job, Pray, and then get those resumes out. If you need to be reconciled with someone, and you're praying, God, I pray that I can be reconciled with this person. I pray that I can be reconciled with this person. Well, you need to pray, and then you need to pick up the phone. You know, prayer is not an excuse to just sit passively. We need to pray, and then we need to act in accordance with, with God's word and, and do the things that he's called us to do. You know, Nehemiah had a plan in place. He didn't, just, he didn't just sit there and say, I'm just going to sit passively and wait. He had a plan. So he prayed and he acted. And, and you see specifically, here's some of the things that he did. He, he said, okay, we're going to have half the people working and half the people keeping a watch. And even the people that are working, they had their, they had their sword with them. They had their, their weapons nearby. They were ready. And he says, even more than that, you know, since, since this wall, since, since these 38, people, 38 groups of people are, are so spread out, 
I'm going to have someone with me at all times with a trumpet. And so if there's trouble somewhere, we're going to blow that trumpet wherever this trouble is, and all the people are going to come together to help. And then this, this last thing, that even uh, all these people that were working, some of the people working on this wall for, were from Jerusalem. Some were from some nearby cities. In, in, actually, in chapter 3, it mentions some people from Jericho. They said, we are going to keep everyone here. And at night, there's no sleeping outside the walls. Everyone is inside. So he, he takes these tactical steps to try to ensure the safety of all the people that are working. But again, a reliance on prayer. And I think, think about us, okay? Now, we don't have to worry, maybe, uh, thankfully, we don't have to worry as much about our physical safety, but this idea of attack. You know, there is, there is a war going, there is a battle going on. Um, and you see this throughout the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 5, 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. We need to resist the devil. We need to be aware that he is prowling, and he wants to take people out. So we need to be alert, just like, just like the people at the wall. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And it goes on, just stand firm in this armor that God has given us. You know, you could be working, but we need to be working and watchful. We need to be aware that we have an enemy out there who is opposing us. And if we are trying to do it in our own strength, if we are not taking advantage of the armor that God has given us, then we will be defeated. And, and I love this picture of, of, of the trumpet where they would blow the trumpet if there was trouble somewhere and everyone would gather together. And I think, man, what, what a beautiful picture of, of how it should be with us that if someone's hurting, if someone's in trouble, man, that phone call goes out and people are there to help them. People are there to, to bring a meal. People are there to send a card, a word of encouragement. Um, what, a, what a beautiful picture of what it should be. I think of, of Art and Helen Westfall and, and the terrible news that they had recently. And Helen was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and, and we all we need to be praying for them. That they, in fact, they, they left. I think it was yesterday was it to go out to to Colorado, um, and they're going to be out there for for a couple of weeks. But man, do we come alongside of each other? Do we know when there's people hurting in our in our family? Do we come beside them and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight next to you? So the first obstacle, doubt. The second obstacle, this danger of attack. And the third obstacle, back to Nehemiah chapter 4. In verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. 
and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This third major obstacle, this obstacle of discouragement. Discouragement. And two, two main sources of the discouragement. The first, our strength is given out. I mean, they were getting tired. They were doing this work. They were trying to, trying to also be on adding to the stress of, of these people that, that wanted to attack them. So they were starting to get weak. They were starting to get tired. And then they looked around, and there was just rubble everywhere. In fact, if you look back in chapter 3, one part of the wall, Nehemiah couldn't even, couldn't even take his, his horse by it because there was so much rubble. And so they started to get discouraged. And I was thinking about this. This is the same reaction my, my kids have when I send them down into the basement that's messy. They say, we can't do it. There's too many toys. Um, this idea of discouragement, though, okay? And again, just because we are doing God's work doesn't mean that we're not going to get tired. Just because we're doing God's work doesn't mean that we aren't going to get discouraged sometimes. Um, a, a few weeks back, Nick and Heather shared about uh, just a season of discouragement that they went through. And if every one of us is honest, man, we go through those times. And one thing I want to say is, I don't want to, I don't want to try to give any, any pat, easy answers to say, man, if you're going through discouragement, you just need to do this and this. Because I know that discouragement sometimes runs really deep. And discouragement can make us feel really hopeless. I mean, we are aware of how tired we are and how little strength we have. And, you know, you look, you look at something like this, these 250,000 people and say, man, that is a huge job. That is a huge job. You look just at the block around you and you say, man, all these families, broken families, families that need to know Christ, and it seems like that's a lot of rubble. There's a lot of work to do. And meanwhile, you know, I'm, I'm just, I feel good if I can get through the day and my kids aren't fighting too much and and so sometimes we just feel tired, okay? Well, what does Nehemiah, how does he respond to this? The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So he, he begins to, and they get this report about the enemies, that adds to it. Down in verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And I think two things, if we are going through a season of discouragement, two things that, that we should remember. And this is what, what Nehemiah says. He says, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Sometimes discouragement is about our perspective. You know, if, when we're in the middle of something, sometimes all we can see is the rubble around us. Sometimes all we can see is our own lack of strength. Sometimes that's all we can see. But Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. Remember the God that you serve. How great and awesome he is. And if we take our, 
our sight off of the problems around us and look at the God that we serve. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that all that discouragement is just going to go away, but that's where it needs to start, is looking at the God who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. We remember the Lord. And then the other thing he says, fight for your families. Really, we remember what we're fighting for. You know, as we're taking the gospel into, into our community and we get discouraged, man, remember the God that we serve. Remember that he is a God that wants to save people. And remember why we're doing it. We're doing it because we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people healed and, and restored from the, the brokenness that they are experiencing. We want to see lives transformed. And he says, you know, fight for your families. Fight for, for your, I love this, fight for your, your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is your home. He says, fight for it. Fight for it. And again, this matter of perspective, where are we looking? Now, I remember the worst, the worst uh, job that I've ever done. See, I, I work at a desk all the time, so I don't so much relate to this, this physical tiredness. And, and, uh, but I remember when I was in high school, I used to detassel. And if you've, how many people in here have detasseled before? A few of them. It is, a, it is a horrible job. You have to wake up at 5 in the morning, you wade out into this corn that is, gets you soaking wet. And then after a couple hours, you know, the temperature's 80, 90, 95 degrees, and you're just, you're dying, your, your hands are getting cut. You're, you, are, you are tired. And, and sometimes you go through fields where the corn is like this high, and you can always see the end of the row, and you think, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I, I can see the end, I'm going to get there. But sometimes you're, you're detasseling corn, and it's like this high, and you have no idea where the end is. And I think sometimes it's this idea of perspective that if, if you knew, if you always had your, could have your sights on where you're going, it makes a big difference. But if you're just lost in the corn and you have no idea if you're halfway to the fence or a quarter, it's really hard. And so this idea of, in discouragement, of just asking ourselves, where am I putting my eyes? Am I putting my eyes on the rubble around me? Or am I putting my eyes on the God who is, who is great? and awesome and mighty. In a minute here, we're going we're gonna to take the bread and, and the, the cup. And again, this idea of remember. We want to remember the Lord. Why do we do this all the time? Why do we do this week after week? Because we forget. And if we forget our God, who is great and mighty, then it's going to be so easy to get discouraged. It's going to be so easy to get down. We want to remember. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and you, and you say, I'm weary. I, I'm, I'm losing heart. I'm tired. 
I've got doubt. I'm discouraged. That's just where I'm at. Just let this verse just sink down inside your soul. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, we don't have a Savior who can't sympathize with us. Jesus went through opposition. The very Son of God dealt with these same kind of things. He dealt with the mockery from sinful men. He dealt with the pain of just looking around and seeing the brokenness around him. He dealt with all these things. If we consider him who went through that kind of opposition, he says, do that so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, as we're going through the book of Nehemiah, sometimes we can think, man, this is, if only I was, if only I was more like Nehemiah, more like Nehemiah. But here's something I want you to consider. Nehemiah is really pointing us to Jesus. And I, I was just thinking, struck by some of these, these, these similarities. You know, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He had this, this great position of privilege. How much greater position of privilege did Jesus have? The very king himself was moved by our condition. He left his place of comfort to come to this earth. He was not tested by Sambalat, but he was tested by Satan himself. Tested for 40 days in the wilderness. Tested throughout his life. He did not come to build a temporary wall of Jerusalem. But he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, when Jesus in his moment of greatest trial, when he faced the cross, there was no trumpet that brought all his friends near. No, in his moment of trial, he stood alone, and his closest friends, they ran away. Now think about that. Jesus, Jesus bore it alone. He went all by himself. And now he has given us this huge mission that he has called us to, this mission to go into all the world and take the gospel and make disciples. And that's what we want to be, out, be about. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's remember the one who went through opposition for us so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that, that we can look to Jesus, that we can look at your sacrifice and what you did for us. And I know, God, that there is there's deep discouragement sometimes in this life. There's doubts. There's the attacks of the enemy. And sometimes, God, we just we look at the, the rubble around us and we say, we are not up to this task. So, God, strengthen us. We pray for your help. But may we, be, may we also be emboldened to go do the work you've called us to do to serve our families, God, to reach our neighbors with the gospel, to go out into this community as, as a light for you. God, for those that are dealing with discouragement today, I just pray that you would just 
come alongside of them and remind them that you understand that you endured the opposition, you went through the trial, greater trials than we ever will, God. That Jesus bore that for us. Thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the cross. We just praise you in Jesus' name.